Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Ministry-Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to manifest the marvelous mercy of God that meets us in our oftentimes messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, and this is episode number six. Today we have a very special guest joining the show, uh, my own father, Dr. Mike Gray. My dad is the senior pastor of Colonial Hills Baptist Church in Taylor, South Carolina, where he's been faithfully ministering since 1998, actually. He's recently finished his doctoral work at the Grace Theological Seminary, in which he focused on biblical hermeneutics. And such is the subject of much of our conversation today in this episode, in which we talk about exegetical preaching, the biblical nature of faith, and also the supreme importance of sound Bible interpretation. This episode was so much fun to record. I had a great time chatting about the gospel, about Jesus, about the Bible with my dad. It was great talking about this with him, and I know you'll find it just as encouraging. Today's show is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Offering an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, the CSB helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word and inspires lifelong discipleship. The CSB is equally suited for serious study or sharing with your neighbor hearing God's Word for the very first time. Learn more at csbible.com. Now for my dad, Pastor Mike Gray. Listen and enjoy. Well, I'm uh, Michael Gray. I was uh, born in uh, North Carolina, and uh, I was uh, reared in uh, South Carolina. Uh, I um, was born in a pastor's home, so I um, have never uh, not known what it's like to be out of church or uh, out of the ministry uh, in that uh, respect, and uh, so uh, I, of course, uh, uh, enjoy uh, other things. Uh, my uh, real passion is uh, classical music. I'm a classical music collector and have been for, uh, well, for 30 years. Uh, started listening when I was five and um, still still going on that. And uh, on the other kind of uh, extreme, I'm uh, a Florida State fan, as Bradley probably has let uh, his... Um, audience know. <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> I've been indoctrinated well. That's, that's right. <laughs> um, now, you've been at your church, Colonial Hills, for almost 20 years now, correct? Uh, 18 and a half. 
Yeah, going on 19. Yeah. Now, uh, if you can, just kind of tell me and tell our listeners the story of how you came to serve there. Well, it was interesting. I was um, finishing up uh, grad work, uh, and I didn't exactly know where, what I was going to do. I I had previously I had taught. That's where I started ministry. I uh, taught secondary on the secondary level, and uh, so I was thinking about getting back into teaching in some capacity. Uh, didn't really know, but I, I always had. The, the the ministry and uh, pastoring and so forth on on the uh, the back burner uh, to use uh, that cliche um, so it was always there as a as a as a possibility um, and basically I had said to the Lord in my own heart that if if that ever happened I would certainly uh, consider it um, so as I was finishing that I I really didn't know um, what I was going to do, we had looked at a school and a church, and um, that didn't pan out. And it was interesting, one evening we were riding home from uh, my father's church where I was serving as his assistant, and I got a call from uh, a man that I knew, um, and uh, he'd been a family friend uh, for many, many years. And uh, he said, uh, just wondering if you would be interested in my putting your name in to uh, the pulpit committee where I'm interim, and it was in the Greenville, South Carolina area. And I said, well, sure. Um, and the backstory to that is he had actually, um, he, he and my dad were colleagues, they were teachers together, and he had stopped by dad's office one day and said, you know, what what's Mike going to do after he finishes? And dad said, well, I don't know, he's looking. He said, well, would you mind if I asked him to uh, uh, consider uh, putting his name in? at uh, Colonial Hills, and Dad said, no, I don't think he would, and so that's how he got to uh, call me, and and so then I met with the, the pulpit committee on a couple of occasions and preached for them initially, then they had me come back a second time and officially candidate, and that's where we've been for the last 18 <laughs> years, so that's that's the story there. That's cool. That's awesome. Now, let me just jump to this question because I think it's important um, just because I, I like to get different answers for this question. How is where you are now different from where you thought you would be? Because I think um, a lot of the times we have this sort of idea in our heads and we have this plan in our minds of where we think our lives are going to go. And usually it, we can look back and it's not anywhere close to where we think we would be. So how is this what you always thought you would be doing? Um. Yeah, I think I think so. I, as far as um, when, when I when I look back, I I, I tend to think that the Lord, uh, even as a small child, was preparing me for uh, for ministry. Um, uh, I can remember, um, you know, pretending like I was preaching uh, <laughs> as a child, and and. Uh, you know, some of my my little buddies when we were little, we would go out, and uh, there was this big field behind my grandmother's house, and we would pretend like that that was uh, our our congregation or our audience, and we would tag team preach, <laughs> and uh, we would pretend like we were preachers and all that. And but but beyond that, I think you know, I look at how the Lord He got me into teaching first, where I was. Um, I had to be prepared uh, every day to say something 
to the class. And so I think, I think that helped me in uh, speaking and in being prepared uh, in that regard. Then I moved um, uh, and took a job in, in, in an admissions counselor role. And that helped me um, learn how to um, manage and administrate things on my own. Um, so uh, I think all along the way, where, wherever I've been, it seems that the Lord uh, was preparing me uh, for uh, for it. Hmm. Now, let me ask you this question then, because uh, many many young men are in this sort of phase of their life. You know, they're trying to quote unquote find. God's will. And I personally don't really like that sort of terminology, but speak to that if you can. Like, how do you know if you're in God's will or not in God's will, especially when it comes to trying to, you know, find a place for ministry or, you know, some guys are trying to find a quote unquote vocational ministry, even though they should be just doing ministry things right where they are. So how do you know when you're in God's will, so to speak. Well, I think again, I, I agree. I the the terminology we use for that sometimes I don't care for because I think as a believer and a child of God, we are uh, we are either in God's will or or we're not. We 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 need to wherever God has us, we we need to follow that or look at that as His will. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that might be temporary. You know, sometimes he may have us in an, in an interim type uh, place in our lives where he, again, is preparing us for something uh, down the road. So it, it's a statement that I've used many times with, with people that they need to bloom where they're planted. Mm-hmm. That's part of God's will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think it's, it's, this is some sort of... Uh, uh, thing like Kierkegaard where you're you're leaping by faith in the dark yeah. and you're hoping to find it and and I think unfortunately we, we have we've kind of taught it that way mm-hmm. um, I think you go where the doors open you go where things uh, have been presented to you where where you are um, working and and doing your best and when when that happens I believe you are in God's will mm-hmm um again can he be preparing you for something um different sure uh but 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 i think we we get we get a little mystical i think yeah. unfortunately sometimes when it comes to god yeah I, I i agree i also think too there's this idea where we're always trying to instill in our in our kids heads and especially young men you know make sure you have everything planned out. And I think, I think I've used this illustration before, but I think we sort of want God's will to be more of like that fidelity commercial, you know, where it has that green line and it has that thing that's really easy to follow. And it's really like, Hey, go here and turn left here. And God's will is a lot messier than that. And it's a lot more, I think, fractured than that. Cause it can just take a lot of turns and it's never really that, you know, self-evident so to speak so what would you say to a guy who is really struggling to sort of to use that terminology find god's will and and what what advice would you give him well i I think you're right as far as it takes a lot of uh unexpected turns but i think the key is to have a have the heart to be willing to take the turns Mm -hmm. the problem is is that when we get stubborn enough and we have our own way uh, planned out that we we don't we don't surrender or submit to take the turns. Yeah. 
that come unexpectedly. I think yeah. that's the key. Um, and uh, again, we like to have everything planned out. Uh, I used to call it the crystal ball syndrome. Where yeah. We see everything ahead of us. We see um, all of our life planned out. And, and again, that's not uh, denigrating goal setting, but yet um, even our goals have to be in submission to what God wants rather than what we want. Exactly. And wouldn't you say that that kind of flies in the face of what biblical faith is too? Because biblical faith, while it's not a leap in the dark, it's also expecting and or trusting in the fact that I don't know, but God does, yeah, so to speak. Right. And faith, uh, and again, I think we, we, we have maybe taught that in a way where it does kind of uh, venture over into the Kierkegaard type philosophy. And faith isn't, faith isn't what, we, we don't exercise faith based upon just, well, I hope this happens. Faith is always based upon what we know. Yeah, yeah. Faith, you have you have faith in Christ and 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 all that based upon what the authority of God's word. Exactly. And I think it's like that in 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 every area. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Well, and also too, I think maybe you can speak to this because I've been kind of um, going through this whole idea of the difference between faithfulness and faith because I think a lot of times we read in the Bible as have faith, as if we have to muster up some sort of feeling in ourselves when really faith is like that story goes with John G. Patton, um, you know, the missionary, and he, he described faith as stretching yourself out on God. And I think a lot of times we we look at faith as if it's something that we do when really it's something that we just relinquish to God and be that's our faith. Is It's not us sort of mustering up faithfulness, it's us stretching ourselves out on God. And how would you say, how, how, how do we do a better job of, of teaching that to young men when a lot of the times our culture is, you know, muster up some sort of strength in yourself? Well, again, I, I, think, I think we have to focus on it more. I, I think maybe there's an assumption that we know what faith is. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we, we tend to maybe perhaps think that, oh, well, uh, you know, faith is the evidence of uh, things hoped for, or, you know, the, the verse there in Hebrews. Yeah. And so we think, oh, well, we know what that is. I, but I'm not sure that we do. Yeah. Um, and this also, what you're saying, is not uh, going over into the let go and let God mentality. Um, but yet it is it is relinquishing um, our control, exactly. so to speak. Exactly. Um, and uh, again, exercising uh, faith in our actions, our behavior, everything based upon what we know in God's word. Yep. And what we know about the gospel. Right. Correct. Right. Um, well, that's good. But let me ask you um, this question, um, because I know you've had other ministry positions, but what would you say is the biggest thing you've learned since your early years in the ministry? <laughs> Um, maybe that's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, that can, that could be. Yeah. Um, well, I think, uh, in the pastorate, I, I think the big, one of the biggest things that I have learned is, um, when it comes to, um, people, and of course that's your ministry is, um, choose and discern what, what hill you're going to die on. In other mm-hmm. words. Yeah. Um, there's always going to be disagreements about decisions made 
about things that you do, how you do them. Um, in any institution, any any ministry, you're going to have that because that's just part of interpersonal uh, relationships. But I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned and is that there are just certain things that you you don't have to um, you know plant your flag on that hill and die on and you have to learn to um, compromise sometimes and I'm not talking about compromising the truth but I'm talking about even a pastor has to sometimes um, compromise his um, his opinions and maybe his own personal feelings mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of others and, and for the sake of the uni- unity of the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to um, sort of us subs- or um, putting ourselves down for the sake of others. So that right. whole idea of, of being in subjection to others, even though we may have the authority to show the gospel to someone, to show Christ to someone, we, like you said, we need to pick the hill we want to die on, so to speak. Um, now, maybe this is a similar question, but in if looking back from when you first got in the pastorate to now, how would you say your your focus maybe has has changed or shifted through the years? Has it or has it shifted um, uh, as like I'm preaching on this now or or whatever? Because I think we go through kind of ebbs and flows of you know what we're really focusing on. Well, I think maybe two ways. I think um, uh, now I'm much more of of an expository uh, preacher in the in, in the sense that I'm preaching more uh, through books mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so forth like that. And it's and it's interesting that it, at least in my experience, when I started doing that, I actually started seeing church growth. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start, when I started preaching more systematically through uh, books and stuff like that, and again, I haven't limited, I haven't limited myself to that wholeheartedly, but um, but I, I do more of that uh, than I, than I used to, and, and I think um, also there is um, more of a a different attitude that I have now than I did when I first started out, which is. I um, I will preach pointedly and I will preach truthfully, but I also always feel like people are coming to church to um, to be healed and to be encouraged, mm-hmm. and they get enough of uh, of a beatdown from the world and from the news of the world, and so even even if I you know if there's a tough passage that you preach. I think you always need to somehow uh, make church a uh, an oasis yeah. that people can go to, and they feel like that they are being uh, uh, healed and encouraged. Um, and, and so I, I always try to be, um, in some senses, uplifting. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's let's speak to that really quick because I think maybe in the past the church hasn't done a very good job of doing that, or maybe they've just done a, a job of just kind of covering up the healing and not really truly giving the right medicine, so to speak. And instead of giving them the gospel, they just give them a lot of self-help and that's not really healing either. But how would you say, or in what ways do you think we have done a bad job at making the church an oasis in the past? Well, I think you you know you touched on a little bit there. I think there are two extremes. You have those who 
they they view their people as just you know they're never right they're never, you know they're always in rebellion and and, and mm-hmm. we are we know that from scripture you mm-hmm. know um you know we we know the verse that says all of our our righteousnesses are as filthy rags we we know those principles um but yet i i think what happens sometimes on one end of the spectrum is that preachers try to um, browbeat their people into um, God's will or yeah. submission or the Christian living, and I don't think you ever get anywhere doing that. No, and and taking that that approach, and then you've got the other end of the spectrum, where where it's so watered down that um, you know it, it's almost hard to recognize. <laughs> yeah, and so I I, th- I think that. Um, like everything in ministry, I, and, I, and I think this is a, a key word uh, in every aspect of ministry is balance. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to work at achieving that. So how would you? Well, how would how would you? How have you some tried to find the balance then between um, you know preaching a lot of maybe encouragement, but also letting the Holy Spirit convict when you know He wants to wants you to convict, you know, a certain demographic of people. How, well, how have you found that balance? I, I don't, um, I, I don't necessarily think of, well, I, I'm going to go after this group or that group or whatever. I, I think what it is is, and, and, and this is easier when you preach expositorily is you let the word do the work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and when you come to a passage that is very direct or, and even difficult, I think what you do is you don't, skirt around it you don't avoid it you just head straight through it mm-hmm. and you preach it yeah and you know you you then have to let the holy spirit do the work because i really don't have the power um to change anybody mm-hmm. um i a preacher has to recognize that all he really is is he is a called um information giver <laughs> yeah That's which good. he gives he gives the information that scripture gives and he does it faithfully mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit does the rest, and yeah. you know what? That takes a lot of stress out of the ministry. Yeah. When when you when you come to that come to terms like that, because then you finally realize that your identity is not how many people come forward. Well, exactly. Invitation, it's exactly that you preach the word faithfully. Exactly. And I I think that's another thing that you know many pastors struggle with is you know finding their identity in their ministry, and and maybe you can speak to that. Like, how have you? had a hard time maybe and where are you now with finding your identity in Christ more than, you know, your church size and, and, and how well your church is doing, so to speak or whatever. Well, I think you have to be content with what the Lord has done and where he has you. Um, I think it's coming to terms with, um, uh, the fact that, okay, Lord, maybe you've given me, um, you've given me four people, uh, 40 people in four acres, <laughs> Well, I need to be content with my forty people and my four acres. Not, yeah. not that I'm going to um, be content to be a stagnant, stagnant con- church or or whatever. We want to obviously see growth, but if the Lord wants to keep us small, then you know what? It's His church and not mine. Exactly. I think to- so, so many times that uh, preachers and pastors and church leaders they they start looking around them. And they want to be like this uh, Christian celebrity and that Christian celebrity. And by celebrity, I mean well-known uh, preachers mm-hmm. uh, within the broad spectrum of evangelicalism. And 
so they want to be that person or or have what he has. And you know what? God doesn't do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for some, he'll give you 60 acres and 600 people. <laughs> so that, but that's God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And so I think pastors have to come to terms with that. And uh, they have to be good with that. And if not, if they can't, then they're going to have a hard time. Yeah. It's, like you said, again, being blooming where you're planted and focusing on the gospel and not necessarily focusing on growth, but focusing on the gospel first. Right. Growth will come. Right. Um, and maybe maybe speak to that, too, just because you, you talked about it. Celebrity pastors, so to speak, have become a... I mean, there's always been popular people in the ministry and in evangelicalism, but it seems like today we are with, you know, our social media and, and all these avenues to where people can get, you know, quote unquote famous. A lot of people are famous for a lot of non-famous things. And how do you think that that has kind of hurt our church at large, so to speak, with people trying to Oh, I want to be a famous preacher and speaker traveling the country. Well, I, I think, first of all, it's a matter of pride. I, I think, you know, that that enters in. And uh, it's, a, it's also a loss of focus on, on where God has us. Yeah. Every, every preacher and every ministry has its own niche. Yeah. And they can reach people that maybe a smaller church can reach people that a larger one can't and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, you have to know what that is and be comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, I don't think uh, a lot of guys are. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, they want to be like this uh, church or that church. And one of the things that I've never cared for is when you go to a conference or, or a seminar or something and, and you know, a guy's talking about some program or you talk even personally with other preachers and they're saying, Hey, this, this program is, is great. And here's what we're doing. And this is, this is how we're doing it. That doesn't excite me. And the reason it doesn't is because something that may work in one part of the country will absolutely not work in another part of the country. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I have seen that again and again and again. Um, and, um, pastors oftentimes get more excited about a program than they do what will work in my situation. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when, when, when ministry leaders or pastors start talking about certain programs that, that they have in their ministry and how wonderful it is, I don't get all that excited. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Um, well, to kind of transitioning, cause you, you've, you, um, mentioned earlier that you are more of an expository preacher and I, of course I know that, but how, how would you describe yourself as, um, changing in sort of preaching styles from since you began? Because a lot of guys can maybe shift in the way they preach. Well, I, like I, I think it, it, it is that, uh, I, I think when I first started, it was, um, more topical mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with topical. I think sometimes you need that. And again, I would say, especially a, a, a pastor who, uh, needs to and should know the pulse of his congregation should from time to time preach a topical message because um, you know he knows what their needs are exactly now I would say I will say this as a caution that i've i 've tried to um, and i 've tried to operate this way in my ministry and i, I haven 't always been successful 
But a preacher, uh, here, here's one rule of thumb I've tried to, to follow, and that is don't preach your frustrations. <laughs> no. There's a lot of things that in, in maybe in, in the church life, in, in culture, in the society around us that can frustrate us. And so then we try to go find a scripture and preach on that. And I think that has been, by the way, one of the um, uh, difficulties in, in some congregations is that basically uh, a lot of preachers are newspaper mm. or headline preachers. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're preaching the frustrations instead of yeah. focusing on the, the major aspects, the wonderful aspects of the gospel and the, the, the teachings of Christ. And um, that that will eventually wear yeah. uh, on a congregation, but uh, but I but I think that that has been the major change is um, is preaching more systematically uh, through a book. Uh, but but topical series are good, that, and 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 in some ways they are expository. It just mm-hmm. depends on how you're you're defining it. Sure. Now, what does your what does your sermon preparation look like on a given week? Like, a lot of people have this number of hours that you have to spend on a sermon or whatever, but I think it varies on person to person. So well, what does yours look like? Um, I, I, here's how I start out. I, I, I will start out um, as early as I can in the week, and, and what I do is I will read the passage. Um, uh, and, and the way I preach through a book is uh, by sections. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, for instance, if I'm looking at a book, um, I will determine the preaching segments, I call it. And so I'll lay all those out and kind of sketch those out uh, before I even start preaching it. Um, so you get your preaching segments laid out. And then before I even touch a commentary, I don't touch a commentary or any other source until I've read the um, passage at least maybe 10 times. Mm-hmm. And, and probably, I would say even more, you, sh- you should become so saturated with that, that segment or that passage that you know it backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, some people have said that, uh, I've heard that um, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, the great expositor, would not start preaching a book until he had read the book 30 or 40 times. Mm. And wow. um, so, <laughs> you know, that kind of sets a, an example to us to, to the saturating aspect of it. And so, um, so I, I will read that and, and what, and how I do that is I'll start out, do the best I can with the, with the Greek. And then, uh, I will read the passage in as many different, um, uh, translations as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you just keep reading it and then, uh, then, once the the scripture reading is done, then you start um, consulting the commentaries. And I, what I will do is I sketch out um, what how I kind of wanted a general outline, some general thoughts. And and it's important just to start writing down thoughts that come, because if you don't write them down, um, then then you'll miss them. Now I know some of you younger guys who are listening, you don't write anymore, so <laughs> we type them down. So so type it or dictate it or <laughs> yeah. whatever. But I, I still find, for me at least, um, uh, I still use uh, pen and paper mm-hmm. to start sketching it out. Mm-hmm. And so once I sketch it out, and I, I really feel like when, once I get my main points, then that is the biggest hurdle. That's mm-hmm. the biggest battle. And so then I can start adding meat on all that. Yeah. 
So that, that, but that takes, um, that'll take, uh, at least maybe two, three, four days mm-hmm. to, to, to do all that. And that's, that's usually, you have the same sort of process per sermon. So like per, like every week it's like you're yeah. doing that three times. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let me, let me ask you this. Cause I, I've experienced this in small little doses and I haven't experienced this for over the course of 18 and a half years, but there is definitely something to be said about a preacher who spends this amount of time uh, preparing and he preaches and then they call it, I guess you could call it that Monday morning feeling of being so inadequate. And I've eaten, even written on this before, just the fact that that inadequacy is part of the job description of a pastor in some respects. So maybe speak to that because I'm sure there's a lot of maybe young guys, especially youth pastors who may be struggling with that sort of Monday feeling of not being able to speak well to their audience because I know there's a lot of people that might be struggling with that. Well, I, yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. And I think every minister has that feeling. And in some senses, I think they should. Mm -hmm. I, I think the the inadequacy needs to needs in some sense to always be there because that keeps us humble realizing again that we're not the we're not the ones who who are doing the the saving we're not the ones who are changing the heart mm-hmm. um that again that's the holy spirit's job yeah. so i think there i think in a sense there should there should be a sense of inadequacy but not to the point where it is going to um uh make us um ineffective yeah and um it's a healthy inadequacy yeah 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 but i mean the truth be known all of us are inadequate <laughs> yeah and and you know paul speaks really to that in some in a lot of his letters you know he 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 asks you know why would god in first corinthians why would god choose the foolish things of the world and mm-hmm. um you know we don't know I, I mean you know one of the wonders of eternity is going to be why would god choose such weak, imperfect vessels as as we are to yeah. carry forth the message of the gospel. <laughs> um, I mean, again, one of my favorite verses that I go to for that is uh, uh, in uh, first, uh, Second Corinthians four. You know, Paul says, "But we have this treasure in earthen vessels." Yeah, yeah. earthen vessels. We're clay pot. That's all we are. Exactly. And you know, we can be replaced. <laughs> um, we're 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 breakable. Uh, uh, we're dispensable. Um, and, um, Paul, Paul recognized that. Yeah. And so there is a, there is an inadequacy in that sense. But I think for me, I think when you get up in front of people knowing that, you know, I'm not adequate to do this, but yet number one, I'm called. Mm -hmm. And if you know your calling, that's what keeps you going. That's what keeps you in ministry. Exactly. And number two, your confidence isn't in your Speaking ability is not in your charisma. It's in your. It's in. It's in the Word of God. Yeah. It's in your Bible. Yeah. And so that's that's what I've told a lot of guys when they are preaching. You know, I've tried to encourage them if it's one of their first time preachings. I say, look, remember your confidence is in the Scripture, not yourself. Yeah. And that helps. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I know that. As I said at the beginning, your doctor might gray now. Your recent recipient of a doctoral degree. If you can uh, give our listeners a uh, sort of a brief overview of your of your thesis uh, for that degree. Well, um, several years back, I took a course 
um, for one of my graduate degrees uh, in hermeneutics, uh, and I had never I had never taken a course in hermeneutics. Of course, the the uh, the science of uh, interpreting scripture, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed enjoyed that course. And it struck me through through the course of the course um, that wow, you know, our our people in our church could use something like this mm. to uh, interpret scripture because. Again, I thought, you know, herein is a core uh, uh, of our problem in that there's a lot of um, misinterpretation of Scripture, which leads to aberrant theology mm-hmm. and has led to a lot of other things that are not good um, because we have taken certain portions of Scripture or we have proof text texted Scripture and... Um, and that's that has led to a lot of difficulties, yeah. I think, in 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 the Christian circle. So, I thought, you know, if we could if we could just somehow teach this uh, to you know the average layman on their level, that would be good. Mm-hmm. And so I I started teaching uh, some of that, and then eventually that led to uh, the basis of my doctoral. Uh, dissertation, which basically uh, I wrote a, a curriculum for um, for our church for lay people, um, a foundational. It, it's not um, you know it's not uh, in depth like that that subject matter tends to be. <laughs> yeah. But I tried to get it on their level so that they could at least learn some of the basics of uh, proper Bible interpretation. Yeah. And so that was that was the um, heart and soul of of. The uh, doctoral dissertation. Now, why would you say that that is? I know why it's so important, but why would you it kind of give your heart behind why that's so important that the you know average Joe, so to speak, knows how to interpret his Bible well? Well, again, because I think there there have been so many um, preachers, uh, and and they're not the only ones who are guilty of this, but they've taken certain texts and they lifted it. And they preached it in a certain way where it has led to um, maybe uh, legalistic standards mm-hmm. because they have taken a text out of its context. Yeah. And, okay, so now that becomes a, a standard, that becomes a rule. It becomes to a quote-unquote gospel because the preacher has preached it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and it has led to... Uh, it really has led to a lot of lifestyle things that I think are incorrect. Yeah. And uh, I think that's far more pervasive than we think. Yeah. I think a lot of times we, we approach the scripture almost as if it's a bunch of God sent tweets. So we take them in individual things and we don't remember that this was an actual letter that a guy penned to a group of people. And this is a long thought structure where one point was being made instead of, 50 points being made. Well, the Bible is not is not just a moral handbook. Yeah. Yeah. Uh there obviously are moral principles found within scripture. But that's that is not the sole reason the scripture was written. The scripture was written to reveal God to man. That's right. And the redemptive plan that God had. That's right. And so you know, again, I think that's where even a lot of pastors approach it that it that it's a moral handbook and I've got to be sure that I give the directives of this moral handbook in order for 
my congregation or, or Christians to, to behave properly. And mm-hmm. that, that's, that's missing the point. Mm-hmm. That, that is not the premise of Scripture. And I think it goes, that, to me, that point right there goes back to what we were talking about earlier about control, where that's the pastor wanting to control his congregation to, the, to make them, quote-unquote, more moral yeah. instead of yeah. what they should be, which is more evangelically-minded, focused on right. the gospel. And, and I think, you know, uh, to give the benefit of the doubt, I think that some pastors don't even really realize that. Yeah. And, and perhaps it's because they haven't been trained properly or, uh, or whatever. But but I think sometimes they do it they do it um, unconsciously mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Um, and 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 because they they they've been brought up that way they think well that's that's the way this is and and really when you start digging in scripture it's not that's right that's right I like that now um, um, what what books have been the most I know you're a heavy reader and I've really gotten into reading the last couple of years myself um, but what what books have been the most influential on you and for your ministry, personally? Well, I would say right off the top, uh, one book that I think every um, young man, every person really in ministry should read is uh, Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. Mm. That book has, has had a great <clears throat> impact on me um, from a long time ago, and it's, it's one book that I refer to uh, quite often. Mm. And and And... His other books too. He he wrote one on spiritual discipleship. He's got another one on spiritual maturity. Um, they they are just great, mm. uh, and so I've really enjoyed that. Mm. That's good. Um, now, as I began saying, the Majesty's Men as a network is really just a a kind of a brotherhood of of young guys that that want to impact other young guys with the gospel. So if if you were given an audience of young men and were only allowed to say one thing to them, what would that one thing be? I think it would it would be uh, focus on the word. Mm. And you, you know, we were just talking. You just asked me about books, and uh, I am a big uh, I'm a big guy who promotes uh, reading and having your your tool chest full. Of resources that is extremely important. It is helpful. It is necessary. However, the the one the one caution I would have is that while you are um, filling up your your toolbox, be careful that you don't ignore what the toolbox is there for. Exactly. And I think what I have observed, and I have to even be cautious of, of this in my own life, and what I have observed is that. I see a lot of uh, men talking about books and talking about the the things they're reading, but there seems to be an, almost a, uh, an avoidance of the scripture itself, and that concerns me. Yeah. Um, um, I think we need to we need to get back to heavy, heavy scripture reading. That's right. I I agree. I agree. Well, Dad, this has been really fun. It's been, you know, every day you get your dad on, on your own show or whatever, but this has been fun. Thanks for coming on, and hope we get to do it again soon. Yeah, I do too. I hope it'll be encouragement to uh, all those young, uh, aspiring uh, ministers out there. Thanks, Dad. Yep. 
Thanks again to my dad for coming on the show and just chatting with me a little bit. Be sure to visit chbctailors.com to stay up to date with all the happenings at the church, all of which you can find in the show notes. And that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you just heard and would like to hear more, be sure and follow the show on Twitter and subscribe in iTunes. And you can also follow along on SoundCloud. And if you really like what you heard, do me a favor and leave a, a brief comment or a short review. That'll go a long way for me to continue making shows like this happen. Thanks again to CSB for sponsoring the show. And thank you, as always, for listening, commenting, and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.